Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we're going to continue in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. This is part six. And before we go any further, I just wanted to remind people that in the transcript, accompanying this audio, there are numerous links I've placed there for you. So moving on in our study in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, we talked mainly about the 10 horns or the 10 kings of Revelation 13 and 17 in our last article or episode. And with everything that's happening in the world today, it has become a clear situation that peace is really a figment of the imagination and always seemingly within reach, but never really quite reaching it. The 10 kings that will rise that are talked about in Revelation 13 and 17 during the tribulation will be dealing with a world that is figuratively one geopolitically. And by the time these 10 kings, these specific kings rise to take their place in future history, whenever that is, the world will already have become one pretty much in mindset. Now, as I've stated a number of times previously, I personally believe this global unity will mainly be the result of the aftermath of the rapture, which I also believe will occur at some point prior to the official start of the coming seven-year tribulation period. Now, of course, what I try to emphasize whenever I speak of the pre-trib rapture is the fact that we have absolutely no idea how bad things will get before it occurs. We cannot bank on a specific date or time or hour because God simply has not provided that information. So all discussion concerning specific dates or times, it's conjecture, it's guesswork, and it really shouldn't be happening. Now, if we knew, for instance, that the tribulation was going to officially begin, let's say, next month on a certain day, well, then we could argue that the rapture would happen prior to that particular day, right? If the tribulation is going to happen at such and such time and day, then we know the rapture would happen before that if you're a pre-trib rapture person. But we cannot do that because that information has simply not been provided to us in spite of what many prognosticators have said in the past and they continue to imply today. Maybe they don't come out and say it, but they imply it. Now, I've said I wish that they just stopped doing that. That would make things better. Just because things are heating up and it appears as though the world is being plunged into war again, that in and of itself does not tell us that the rapture is necessarily closer. Of course, it is in one sense. It's closer because we, with each new day, that brings us closer to it. But that doesn't really help us, does it? We can't narrow it down and say, hey, on this particular day, that's when the rapture is going to happen. Or this particular day, that's when the tribulation is going to start. The, that information is not there. It's not there for us to call from Scripture. Now, I believe it is actually far better for Christians to get used to the idea that things will progressively worsen as the world rushes toward tribulation so that preparations and precautions can be made by critically thinking people. Now, even though I believe the Bible teaches the pre-trib rapture, and I'm, I believe it's very clear on that, as I've stated numerous times before, it's very important to understand what is happening and to take steps to mitigate against it where and when we can. 
Who would not keep their cars filled up with fuel in this day? Who would not keep extra fuel on hand for generators? Who would think it's unwise to buy extra food and other supplies needed all the time? Who would essentially ignore what is happening in society, believe that they'll be raptured any moment now? Well, in my opinion, that's not the best way to approach things, in my opinion. Again, I mean, you can always have it in the back of your mind. That's fine, but you can't live like that. So because we know things are very likely going to get worse, we can assume a number of things. Inflation will continue to rise. Interest rates will likely rise. Food and other products will continue to be in short supply. In general, it will cost much more to live as we have previously lived. Doing the same thing, Christians and conservatives will become more of a target for hate from the left, and traditional biblical values will be increasingly attacked and thrown out, and Christians and conservatives will increasingly be pushed to the fringes of society. Now, if these things bother you, understand that you're not alone. But we need to remember that all of this was foretold. We just happen to be likely the generation in which we see fulfillment of biblical prophecy related to these end times. Now, of course, the good news here is that Jesus is, I mean, his physical return is closer as well, right? That's an amen. But with war happening between Russia and the Ukraine, not knowing how long that's going to last or how bad it'll get. Apparently, Putin attacked a nuclear plant in, in Ukraine, and there could be major fallout literally from that, although the experts are downplaying it. It seems that things aren't looking good. Biden gave his State of the Union address recently, and it was a flop by nearly all standards, unless, of course, you're a dyed-in-the-wool leftist who wants to see the destruction of the USA and other countries so that this world will become one geopolitically. It seems like that's really what the left is pushing for so mightily. Now, of course, what's fascinating is that Biden started highlighting things that he wants to do, and he sounded an awful lot like what Trump wanted to do and did. But now that Biden is saying some of those same things, the left is happy all of a sudden. When Trump did it, orange man bad. You know, it makes zero sense, but we're not dealing with people who are logical. They largely go by feelings, which explains most of the way they think and react. It's all really a bit disingenuous, though, because Biden suffers, unfortunately for the guy from dementia, which is an asset to the globalists using him as a puppet. They don't have to worry about him trying to make his own decisions and go off script. Putin has all of his wits about him and clearly wants to own Ukraine. Who knows the real reason? I don't know. We're not getting the real picture. Maybe, maybe Putin is today's Hitler. I don't know. Both Putin and uh, the president of Ukraine are evil people. They're either globalists themselves or working in tandem with globalists to achieve globalist ends. So what is all this that we're seeing? Is it just a, a pre-planned staged play? I don't know. I seriously doubt that we're going to be able to do anything to destroy globalist efforts because it appears as though the timing is coming together in the spiritual realm to allow the final kingdom to be built at last. I certainly could be wrong. I'm simply trying to look at the whole picture, not just parts of it. So because everything that's going on, it appears the GOP may have the edge in the upcoming midterms. Ooh, what? 
What uh, what that doesn't tell us, though, is, is anything going to change? It really hasn't in the past. So I don't assume it will change anything in the future. There's always the chance that new GOP candidates are rhinos in disguise. They're pretending to be truly conservative. Then when they get into office, their true colors start to show. Project Veritas has already uncovered one such candidate, I think from Arizona or New Mexico, among many other notable gotchas that M. SM refuses to deal with, so you may want to check their site out. Now, aside from that, though, it appears to me that the voting system is pretty much broken, and a new one is most likely in the works. Who knows? This is how the final global kingdom of Daniel 2 will arrive. Often before something new is birthed, there's a great amount of upheaval and pain, and that makes sense because it has to destroy what has been there as normal. People keep talking about the midterms as the light at the end of the tunnel and that we simply need to vote in the right people. But as long as numerous states continue using Dominion voting machines, I'm skeptical. If only one of those machines can be hacked, then the whole system fails. This, I believe, is what we actually experienced in 2020. And there are many experts, by the way, talking about that. In fact, some high-profile politicians are now calling for the 2020 results to be decertified based on the information that they currently have that has been revealed about this voting stuff. It's not being done, though, because they don't like Joe Biden. It's being done because of the evidence they are seeing. In some cases, the voter rolls have thousands and thousands more people than actual registered voters, including many dead ones. The Dems have long fought against cleaning up voter rolls, removing dead people or those who have moved to other locations. They say that those who want the rolls cleaned up are racist bigots and don't want blacks to vote. They say the same thing about voter ID. Well, so many places in the USA require photo IDs. Try getting on an airplane without one. Try buying cigarettes without one or alcohol. Try getting into the White House or the Capitol without one. You can see what happens. IDs, photo IDs are necessary. It is difficult to believe somehow poor people cannot obtain them. That's ridiculous. Yet that's what the left would like us to believe. But in spite of all that, and the war drums pounding along with the turmoil in many parts of the world, it's interesting that Emmanuel Macron recently issued his continuing support for Israel and his desire that they maintain control over the Temple Mount. I think that that's interesting. He does not believe Israel is an apartheid nation simply because Muslims are in positions of power there in government and elsewhere. So how could it be apartheid? We're not talking about South Africa the way it used to be. How could a nation actually be apartheid if people who don't like Israel are in positions of power, able to make legislation, able to change laws, able to do things that only people in power can do? However, not to be outdone by Macron, Vladimir Putin ordered an airstrike on a Holocaust memorial in Ukraine. And that's aside from the uh, nuclear plant that he attacked. Macron, by the way, also wants a powerful European army created, and he sees himself as the commander-in-chief of that army. So all these things are happening, but let's take a look at Daniel 7, 9 through 10, which we see something very interesting. Here's what it says. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. 
His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. What we're looking at is literally heaven's courtroom. Daniel had just described what he saw up to verse eight about the beast. He saw speaking pompous words. Verse eight B says, and there in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Then we get to verses nine and 10, where we, the scene changes to heaven's throne room, the courtroom. So here's this beast who was very human-like, eyes of a man, mouth, etc. And these pompous words he speaks will be motivated by his spiritual union with Satan, his spiritual father. Daniel tells us this and then describes what he sees next. This time, as I said, the scene shifts to heaven. Thrones were placed. In the ancient of days, Jehovah God took his seat. Why does he take his seat? Because he's getting ready to judge. Just like in any courtroom, the judge enters, everybody rises, then the judge sits, then everybody sits. In fact, the entire description of God reveals that he is dressed for judgment and ready to issue his righteous, godly judgments. Now, what Daniel saw was the throne room of heaven, the very seat of God. Multitudes ministered and stood before him and the court was seated. The books opened. Time is of the essence for Satan at this point, as I'm sure he will see it when it occurs as well. This should also inform us that God's will is always being perfectly accomplished. He will allow people to make decisions they believe are the best decisions to make for or against God. And God will still very easily work within those decisions to ensure that only his will is accomplished. Daniel 7, 11 through 12 returns us back to this world with the events happening here. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Fascinating, isn't it? God's judgment destroys the beast who is then tossed mercilessly into the lake of fire. The other seven remaining kings were deposed, yet were not killed, or at least did not experience the second death, the lake of fire at this point. So immediately following this bit of information, we read the following from Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Can I get a big amen on that? I hope you feel it. I hope you sense it. That is a huge amen. So here we essentially see the official transfer of all things. Remember, 
God, uh, as Christ, currently sits at the right hand of the Father. Certainly, Jesus reigns with the Father, but there is coming a time when he will physically reign on earth as the God-man, perfectly performing the glorious, perfect will of God the Father. These verses that I just read give a nod to this coming millennial kingdom over which Jesus will reign for 1,000 years. Why does he have to physically return to this earth to reign if he is already reigning from heaven's throne? Well, it's simply because this world's religious leaders rejected him as Messiah when he came the first time. They said, away with you, and demanded he be killed as a criminal. The Son of Man who was absolutely spotless and sinless, was treated as though he was the worst sinner ever born. He was unceremoniously accused, falsely accused, beaten, and mercilessly murdered, mainly because of jealousy. In essence, he was put out of this world. He was really sent away from this world. When he returns, he will do so in force and in judgment and we will return with him in his train. This is at the end of the tribulation. He will set up his physical kingdom in full view of all creation in order to prove beyond doubt that he and he alone is the rightful heir and ruler of this planet. In fact, his rule extends to all creation and beyond. His kingdom, quote, shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed, unquote. We're going to discuss Daniel's reaction to these visions and what it means for us and what he saw in our next episode and article. So please join me then. In the meantime, thanks so much for being here with me. I do appreciate it. And I pray that until we meet again, God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 